Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Guys, customer service is essential to your business success. And for faster, smarter customer experience, you can turbocharge your CX results with CX1, the world's most complete customer experience platform from NICE. It's never been easier for organizations of all sizes around the globe to create extraordinary customer experiences. With the scalability and flexibility of the cloud, you can power up your business goals like never before. So don't get left behind. Find out more today at nice.com. That's nice.com. Hello, the internet, and welcome to this episode of the Weekly Zeitgeist. Uh, These are some of our favorite segments from this week, all edited together into one uh, nonstop infotainment laugh extravaganza. Yeah. So without further ado, here is the Weekly Zeitgeist. Uh, we are thrilled to be joined in our third seat by an award-winning journalist who's worked for places like the Washington Post, the mm-hmm. LA Times, the mm-hmm. Financial Times of London. He's also the author of the books The Jakarta Method, yeah. Washington's Anti-Communist Crusade, and the Mass Murder Program that Shaped Our World. And more recently, If We Burn, The Mass Protest Decade, and The Missing Revolution. Please welcome to the show, Vincent Bevin! Hello. Hello. What's Hello. Up, thank, thank you for having me. Welcome, Thanks for welcome. doing that. Yeah. yeah. Is tomorrow really National Ambrosia Day? Is that a real thing? Did you? Yeah, you no, no, it's, it's legit. There's a, there's an okay, entire website that just has every day there's something nonsensical or of deep consequence. Like, yeah, at sensical, the same time. Deeply sensical. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. exactly. Runs yeah. the gamut from sensical to deeply nonsensical. De- deeply nonsensical. Yeah. But yeah. It's, like uh, mainly it's consumer groups, corporate groups or lobbyists just naming something a day to. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, give themselves a reason to collect a paycheck. You know? Exactly, exactly. The bullshit exactly. economy thrives. Yeah. We like to cover the bullshit economy as much as possible. Uh, and you're coming to us from London. Yeah, I'm in London now. Uh, I'll be I've back in Los of. Angeles by the end of the year for you know home for the holidays. But I'm currently in the United Kingdom. Is that where you? Is that your home base at the moment? Yeah, it has been. I mean, uh, I've been on the road like actually for for years for the second book between Sao Paulo and London often. Okay, uh, but wow. I'm, like at the end of this book tour, I've yeah resettled into London for a bit. 
Cool. Cool. Love it. And you've been at some of the protests in London for, you know, Palestinian rights and survival and ha- depending how, on depending where you get yeah. your news. I heard it was a pro Hamas uh <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh I I kind of yeah. Uh, yeah, I've been yeah, I've been at the protests uh weekly here, like not far from 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 where I am now. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And like uh absolutely that presentation they they tried it here certainly i mean the government here is quite committed to demonizing anyone like to the left of i don't know <laughs> uh <laughs> joe biden even or even right, like yeah. to the left of rishi sunak so yeah there was there was quite a big narrative that it was either anti like mostly anti-semitic or quite about supporting hamas and then when i went there you know even though i should have known better i even kind of expected to see some elements maybe there are out there but what I found was like quite a lot of families and kids and quite like a... If they're out there, they'll like find atmosphere. them. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's the thing. Well, that's kind of that related to what I've been working on is that yeah. Yeah, you exactly. can, if, the, if a protest is large enough, you can usually find an element in the crowd. You can usually find a fact to support your narrative uh, if, you, yeah, if you look hard enough. Yeah. And sometimes the narrative will be, you know, anti-Semitism and sometimes it'll be, they just like really fuck with america they just want to like be america uh, just like whatever whatever honors their preconceived notions coming in this this america rises fest. to the top quite all almost all the time usually when you yeah. send a cadre of u.s based or uh correspondents for the u.s media to cover some uprising in some part of the world someone will see a desire to become junior like b-league america which often like shocked and horrified some of the actual people that i met (laughs) that put together protest movements in the last 15 years but it almost always happens yeah what is something from your search history that is revealing about who you are the only thing i can think of is that i went out to eat with one of my friends the other day and i had to search what is what is the sushi that's a taco but not really a taco and it's tamaki because it's like the open face, like sushi, but I didn't know what it was. Okay, okay. So you're yeah. talking about just the little bed of rice with the sushi on top of it? But it's like wrapped in the seaweed. But yeah, it's like, like, a, oh, like a cone. Okay, like a hand roll. Yeah. 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 And so yeah. I, I'm like a foodie, but like I don't always have the right names for stuff. So I'm like, okay, well, what is the sushi kind of taco hybrid thing? <laughs> <laughs> it looks like an ice cream cone filled with fish, kind of. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it yeah, yeah. does. Yeah. And it was good. I mean, we went to the place and it was amazing. There's a there's like a place in LA that's just all hand rolls that I know. Like I don't know if I'm sure they have that kind of stuff. Westwood, like, right? Yeah, and like they have it by the I forget the name anyway. But yeah, Temaki is like my one of my favorites. Usually you eat it at the end, like when you have like a sushi meal, because like the mentality is you like it's it's meant to be the closing sushi that you eat to make mm-hmm. sure like oh you oh so you think you're full now well then try this one and yeah. now go home pack satisfied. it down yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's why I like the philosophy behind it it's like no hit hit yourself with the big one at the end is there a study of food that like passes through you at like different speed the speed at which you go from full to not full anymore because sushi mm. I can eat myself to like stuffed to the like very bottom of my esophagus like i can feel the sushi down there (laughs) and then like be hungry an hour and a half later whereas like thanksgiving dinner or something like that i'm i'm done like i'm cooked for like yeah it's just stuck i don't i don't know what it is 
Mm-hmm. Korean food also goes right through me. I feel like, I feel like it's a lot of the foods from Asian countries that are like, like that you're able to eat a ton. I mean, it's probably you're able to eat a ton and then be hungry at like the next the next time a meal rolls around. You look in, in Asia, we like to eat, man. We like yeah. to eat, so we're not gonna get slowed <laughs> down. And I think I don't know. I mean, I, I know the same way. I think a lot of it, like when eating sushi, there's also the part of it you're like, how much fucking money is this costing? So like you can't. I mean, unless yeah. you want to really go there. Like you right. could you I'm I'm sure you could eat that amount, but I'm sure there's also like a psychological effect of like, OK, do I need another fifteen dollar thing and <laughs> see if that will yeah. do it? You know what I mean? Versus like yeah. what 15 bucks gets me a Chipotle or something. I think there's that part of it, too. I don't oh, know if anyone's Chipotle. eating to their full potential. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, starches make you feel full, right? Yeah. Like, like starches that, right? and they stay. fiber yeah. stuff. Yeah. I, I don't think, know, but I feel like it's like things that are super fatty or whatever, like they make you want more. Because like yeah. if I eat bacon, I never want to stop. You right, know, right, it's right. like if right. I eat like pork belly or something, I never want to stop. I want to keep going. Oh, you so you like the like the luxurious kind of juicy, fatty parts of I look I, when you said bacon and pork belly, I'm like, it's the same part, <laughs> but we're doing it different ways. And I'm like, I love I love give me that pork belly. belly. Yeah. Yeah. So I'd say good. the number one food for like what I'm talking about is pancakes, because uh. pancakes, you eat them and then get less and less hungry after you've eaten them as they expand in your stomach. You know, oh, like, right, right. I feel right. like I get more and more full, like even after I've eaten them. Right. So like there, there is a science that I'm sure like chefs and culinary artists pay attention to of like, OK, this is how it's going to feel going down. But also like once you've <laughs> eaten it, because you right. do have like taste buds in your stomach, you know, and that's that's a part of there. there's definitely stuff that when you eat it or drink it, it's like, oh, I liked it when I was having it in my mouth. But then, like, there's just something about it that fucks me up once it's in my stomach, you know? What is something you think is overrated, Blair? Oh, thank you for asking, Jack. (laughs) Boy, do I have an idea for you, okay? (laughs) Overrated? I don't want a small salad bowl, okay? I need a big daddy salad bowl. I need room to work without shrapnel going everywhere. I need room to throw elbows like Ron Artest. I need, <laughs> need a de- you need a Dexter room to eat that. Well, salad. I'm eating salad right. in my gigantic bowl. I'm digging in a well. I'm finding creatures <laughs> down there without any fear of lettuce flying out. Okay, yeah. I'm working. I'm swirling. Can't do that with a small salad bowl. Yeah. What, how big are we talking? Like, what's a small salad bowl? Versus... You want to be able to get some torso in there, like some of your torso? Yeah, <laughs> you're I want to go elbow above deep. elbow. Oh, above yeah. elbow. Shit. Okay. Small- wow. These small salad bowls, you know the ones that are the standard size. They're the standard yeah. size of these little tiny bowls. I said, this is not correct for a salad. Oh, a plate? <laughs> oh, no, no, no. Do not even get me started on <laughs> salad on a plate. In a restaurant that you pay to go to, these people are sick. <laughs> yeah. Maybe There's if you no- give me a cubicle with, like, dividers around it. Yes. But otherwise, shit right. is going to be, yes. there will be projectiles, and people are going to have to, like, take cover. Blair, There's what's casualties, your... there's liabilities. I don't want to do that. Is your, like, salad-eating style just fucking Tasmanian devil? Is that the deal? <laughs> just a blur of fork like, ah, and, and get off you. Miles, you would think that. You would think that, but it's not. I'm oh, slow, okay. I'm steady, I'm polite. I just don't want to be sort of... 
feeling castrated in that situation. Okay, I'm trying to have it be a relaxing spa-like experience. I'm not trying to do too much. I'm just being appropriate. I'm just saying there's a flaw in the system of what we're doing right now right. and uh, what we yeah. have been doing. Yeah, I, like whenever I eat a salad, like or eat a Trader Joe's bag salad, I eat that in a gigantic mixing bowl. Basically. Yeah, exactly. That's yeah. peace. That's yeah. peace. That's well-being. Because you got to mm. toss it, too, yourself. You can't do that shit in a tiny. I can't get jiggy with no fucking tiny bowl when I'm doing that. Oh, yeah. How am I supposed to spread the salad dressing in a tiny bowl when there's no yeah. room to even, there's not oh. even any air in there? Mm. Thank you. Thank you. And do you toss? Do you put, like, the salad dressing on and then put something over the top and, like, shake it up? Or are you, you mixing it? How, Look, how are you doing that? I'm even more delicate than that. I'm lighter than that. I just wow. do a quick swirl with the fork. I'm not trying okay. to do anything crazy. Quick, I just think these people are gaslighting with these you know tiny what I bowls. Do? I do dressing in the bowl first. <gasps> then, like then like the, the cereal hack? That's smart, Miles. That that's like dressing? a Pinterest bitch. That's just how they do it. I, that's how every time I watch like like behind the scenes shit in like a restaurant, they'll like dress the bowl yeah. and then put mm -hmm. the leaves in. And then do they really? Like that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Damn, man. That just fucking blew my mind. That's yeah. great. It's Great just, advice. Because yeah. then you, all you do is like, if you just keep scooping from the bottom, like all of the dressings there and it kind of mixes really well. So yeah, anyway. Little, Blair's little right. It does sound like some Pinterest ass. Like, it does. I, I actually make my nachos on my tabletop, just directly on the tabletop. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Type <laughs> shit. But, sloppy style. Sloppy style. Yeah, sloppy style. What is something you think is underrated? Okay. You guys got to bear with me on this one. Uh -huh. Underrated? Taylor? Swift. <laughs> Hear me out. Hear okay, me go out. on. Now, what is it about Taylor Swift? I've been wondering. Yeah. Okay. Yes, she is so overexposed. We're hearing news about her every single day. She's a billion-dollar business. She has, like, a million products. She's always selling something. But the way I still see, like, half of people be like, oh, I don't like her. Oh, no. She's like, I don't like her music. Oh, get her off my TV screen. The thing that I love is we now have like another like a Princess Diana, a Michael Jackson. We have a single person to focus our whole culture on, which yeah. is so unifying and fun. And I think I don't want people to like her. I don't care if they like her. I want them to accept that it is her world. It is <laughs> she hers. is our We're in the Taylor verse. Yes. yes. When the aliens come down, why would I send Joe Biden a yes? Yeah. Send yeah. Taylor nope. Swift. You know what? If the aliens are smart, they might just pull up straight to Taylor Swift's like place yeah. in Manhattan. <laughs> oh, she's yeah. met the aliens. I remember early on we she's were like, is she an alien? <laughs> like she just like mm -hmm. has she looks alien adjacent. Can you, know? you run a full mm -hmm. marathon while singing songs i know still be okay <laughs> or yeah. are you or is that some kind of alien technology i feel like she would be if i had to guess who has access to the alien technology a la independence day mm -hmm. it would probably be her right mm -hmm. like that's who first of all they would want to give it to because they're like right. you're like I, I think what what do they call the really tall slander like pale aliens grace I think maybe the grays the, that, no, the grays are the short little uh, ones with the big oh, eyes. Oh, the the the, no, the Nordic, the Nordic, the Nordic aliens. I feel like they might be, be like, her. yeah, or they might be like, you're one of, you're not one of. Okay, she's like, oh, no, you're just oh, really rich. She's all freaked oh, okay. out. <laughs> she's um, yeah, they freak her the fuck out. Yeah. <laughs> she's like, I'm not what the fuck. I'm a person. Yeah. No, no, you're one of us. Let's go. Let's go. We've talked about this before quite a bit on the show as a show mm -hmm. that like tries to 
take a look at the national shared consciousness and the the zeitgeist, uh, Taylor Swift may have come up a time or two. And the the question that I feel like we come up against is, is she like, so time person of the year has never been a entertainer, really. Mm. It's been, uh, Bono made it for his humanitarian work. Yeah, with And okay. I am making right. the jerk off him gesture yet <laughs> as i s- say that but she's the first one who's just like you she know, was so, so popping this year basically. yes yeah. exactly <laughs> so is this we, one, one of the theories that we like to talk about is that as humans in the in this modern world have lost access to religion like our beyonce's and taylor's swift have come in to like replace those foundational spiritual myths do we think that she is like it's on par with michael jackson and princess diana or is she even like above that at this point Mm. Interesting. she's not quite there i still contend she's not quite there she had a not quite mj level no 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 like anyone you're you're gonna have you're gonna you're gonna need to pull up to like sub-saharan africa show the picture and they all got to be like Start crying. Oh, yeah. oh, like if they're not doing that, then <laughs> it's not quite you're not hitting globally. But I because like everywhere else, you know, like Europe, uh, fucking North America and, and South America, even I that's definitely I mean, she could be on her way for sure. Mm-hmm, I think at yeah. this moment, it's it's not quite there. But I think more interestingly, we were talking about an episode. I hate to show our hand for a future episode coming up. Is, you know, we were actually asking, is she the Antichrist? Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. And like, and not in like a ah, get away, but the, you know, the influence that she has and the fear that she strikes in the hearts of conservatives and religious figures. I'm like that. See, there might be something there. Yeah, yeah. And people love. People are always looking for labels for themselves so that they can feel like they have a spot. That's what religion does. That's what being a Swifty is. Yeah, well, she could. She could use those. Swi- I mean, not that I'm not a Swifty. She could kill all of us if she wanted. She could just be yeah. like Swifties attack. honestly i have a feeling she could manage to do like irl damage in physical space more than like trump could with maybe maga people if if she really wanted to start turning the dial up you know so it's you know with just uh, world war z level waves of humans just running like i I feel like could scale like a wall you know but they're all like 17 year old girls yeah Yeah, yeah, (laughs) which i mean don't never underestimate a 17 year old girl no yeah i I like this argument. I think I think it is counterintuitive, but I do think that people it, it, people are sleeping on Taylor Swift. <laughs> I just want people to stop resisting. Stop resisting. It's just go Res- with. Thank it. you. Yeah. yeah. Just yeah. just fucking become one with the Borg. That is mm-hmm. Taylor. Yeah. You'll be happier. Do we just see this continuing? Like, a, on some level, I've I've heard people like she can't get much bigger, and America loves to see someone torn down. Right. On the other, I think saying it can't get she can't get any bigger is a little like saying like, well, it's not like it can get any worse politically. It's like, well, you just lack the imagination. Yeah. Hold all these beers, please. Yes. Watch this happen. (laughs) So like, I do think she could get any bigger. But I think as she gets bigger from here, we do start to enter unprecedented territory. Yeah, it's a weird spot where we don't. This is the first time we don't have a break from someone ever because she's been re-recording those albums and just putting them out in the middle. 
So she's been in the news every day for over a year now. And usually with, you know, Olivia Rodrigo just put out her new album and and that was huge too. But we didn't hear from her for a couple of months before yeah, that. we got a breather. I so yeah. I have no idea what it's going to look like. You know, is it going to explode and everyone's going to hate her all of a do sudden? You think, do you think like that sort of like American misogynistic pattern is going to come for her? Or like, because like you say, Jack, every anytime anyone gets big, it's there. there is a teardown phase like yeah. with entertainers, no matter what. And I'm curious because I know like even, even in reading interviews, how she said she was much more affected by things that people said when she was younger, but she's older and now like it doesn't nearly affect her. So maybe she's like, I've reached my final form. You can yeah. fucking try motherfuckers, but Collecting I'm made of adamantium. Stones and horcruxes. <laughs> horcruxes, yep, yep, yep. Yeah, I feel like, I think Oprah like left the planet a long time ago, but mm-hmm. is still very consistently Oprah. You know, like there's right. nothing that, changed i think i feel like i could see taylor swift just evolving in that direction of like no longer on this planet because i think the thing that often happens first of all people want to see a giant giant celebrity taken down just because for the same reason they watch like buildings being detonated but i i think that also just it is such a strange like level of fame and like psychological experiment that it's hard to maintain one's like coherent gravitational equilibrium of reality at that (laughs) level and then so it you know if the whole world is rooting for you to fail spectacularly kind of even if they don't admit that and also you are in a bizarre psychological experiment where like nobody has told you the truth in 20 years (laughs) you know like everybody around you is just like Whoa, yeah, you're killing it. Then, you're killing it. then it, it's almost an impossibility that you maintain anything resembling normalcy, but the kind of how you get weird can go in a direction that just yeah. keeps making you more and more famous. Right. Like mm. Oprah. So And she's so weird, by the way. Taylor, I, I saw the the concert. The way she like pauses for applause after every three words is so funny. And oh. I I love how crazy she is. (laughs) And but like also, yeah, that's a good example of she is every single gesture and micro gesture Mm -hmm. and micro expression is perfect. Like that's how she's gotten weird. That's how she's become inhuman. Well, that's that's Michael Jackson dialing it in tighter and tighter into exactly what people want from her. Right. Yeah. So I feel like that's got to be the point at which fame actually is uh, uh, purely worse than it is good when nobody's being honest with you anymore. Oh, yeah. That, oh, yeah. That's got to be it. Right, the thing right, that right. like you really don't want to see is when they like build their own universe that has its own name, like Graceland and Neverland. <laughs> and right, right, right. I think like Eddie Murphy had that for a little while. And it's yeah, and then he came out Jamaican. Right. <laughs> that reggae album and we were like right. what the fuck Eddie yeah yeah Prince had it and Prince maintained his princeness up till up until the end but and he got weird too you know you gotta get weird I think that's the thing it's like we gotta get oh yeah yeah but he, he was weird. weird he was known yeah. for being weird that was kind of his whole thing and he just like kind of honed it and honed it more and more she is famous for being like very broad and Miss Americana but 
she is seems able to hone that more and more and more somehow. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I see, yeah. We seem to find out that she has like a like a secret Dunkin' Donuts in her garage or some weird shit like that. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like bring People on just the weird like Dunkin' Donuts more, I feel like. <laughs> yeah. I know, right? <laughs> it's so crazy. That's what I'm saying. I don't that's why I need to see the weird Taylor phase. Like, get weird, Taylor. And take everybody yeah. with you, please, to the weird land. I just like want to see what her media diet, like what her just a, a, like intake is like. Like, is she reading Barbara Streisand's memoir, or is she reading books about Napoleon right now? Right. You know, like, (laughs) what is, what what does she think is next for her? Right. She's like, I'm reading a lot of bell hooks, actually. Yeah. I would be dope. Damn, nice, Taylor. All right, Taylor. Yeah. All right. Let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other, as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infinity QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was edited so well. I think you're so talented. Social media interactions are only positive when you use Zigazoo. Zigazoo is the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. Your kids can upload their content and see what their friends are up to. With Zigazoo, they can create videos, enter to win prizes, and try out the latest dances and trends. There's no commenting, no text messaging, and everything is 100% human moderated. Plus, all community members are real, verified kids just like yours. There are no bots, trolls, or AI. Because Zigazoo is about one thing and one thing only, and that is fun. Try out Zigazoo this spring break and let your kids share your vacation vlogs and best edits with their friends safely. Download the Zigazoo app today. That's Z-I-G-A-Z-O-O. 
And we're back. Back. And, you know, one of the kind of central questions that I went into the book with and that I just think is is interesting and you kind of open up talking about is just the way that like a, you know, we're, we're interested inherently in the zeitgeist, the idea that there is right. a zeitgeist or a collective consciousness. And, you know, you open your book, which is about like one of these things where for a decade there were these movements that seemed to resemble each other in some ways kind of uh, often superficial but spreading around the globe you you also open your book talking about the spirit of 1968 and the right. idea where like revolution is happening across the globe all at once almost like there's something in the air right and, and this is you know 60 years before social media and right. You know, these protests and uprisings sweep around the world and even in communist countries. So I'd just be interested in first, just for framing of the entire conversation, like hearing you speak about what what are the dynamics that are at play there? Like, how do you think something like that happens? Yeah, absolutely. So whether or not we really, truly understand, I think we can come up with theories. Yeah. But historically, revolutions, uprisings, are come in waves. They cluster around certain years. And, you know, the best way we have to explain this is people hear about things happening elsewhere. They think maybe I could do this here, even if their conditions are different, even, even if the things they're protesting against are different. And I think media has to be part of the story, right? Because um, before media would be, would be impossible to, for people to find in Germany to find out what's happening in France, and, you know, unless somebody came and told them that's the story. So even like right. in 1848, like, you know, the Spring of Nations in Europe, you saw like common uh, commonalities across countries. And I think you see an acceleration of that process the more mediatized we become. So 1968, you have quite a lot of back and forth happening between Western Europe and the United States, especially California. Mm. And but also like they're doing slightly different things. Like if you if you just if you just like look at the pictures of it, it may look the same, but there's different things happening. And certainly the people in Prague or in China, or in Egypt, which in my book, I kind of say that they all do kind of have their own type of 1968. They're all very different types of movements and, and protesting very different types of, of governments. But like, this seems to be a thing, at least in the histories, in the history of revolution, most serious thinkers do think that there is some kind of like a zeitgeist of rebellion in the air, that there are waves of rebellions, there are clusters of uprisings. I think media has to be part of that story, but like again, we we have to. That's something we impose. That's an explanation we pose on retroactively uh, to make sense of what's happened after right. after it all explodes. Yeah, I mean, there's also the phenomenon of like parallel invention, where you know the light bulb is invented in multiple places around the world, like within you know months of each other, like at least you know years of each other, and so like mm -hmm. we're all kind of working from the same book and coming up with the same ideas. So yeah, I'm just. Uh, just interested. It's not really the central thesis of your book, but just as somebody who spent a lot of time thinking about that, I, I was curious to hear your thoughts on that. So, yeah, I mean, I guess Zeitgeist is kind of a Hegelian idea, right? And like in this book, and in like this, the understanding of what's supposed to be happening in protest, there is kind of some like deep Hegelian assumptions that there is kind of like a world historical spirit, like this, like history with a capital H moves forward. Right. In some grand and mystical way. And so whether or not that's true or not, I think we can all, you know, probably most people are not Hegelians, but, uh, but some people, but, you know, 
I think a lot of people do kind of have this deep, deep down feeling or assumption that there is kind of like a history with a capital H that moves forward. And this, yeah, this, this ends up actually coming up in the book or for better or worse. Yeah. Another thing you talk about is just this sense among revolutionaries of, and this is something that I've just noticed across, you know, re reading about history of like the joy that people feel and, and reading about protests, like the fading out of these capitalist roles. And, you know, you, you mentioned the idea of a m medieval carnival right. where they would kind of topple hierarchies for a set period of time in the book Dawn of Everything. David Graeber talks about like, you know, doing uh, archaeological studies of these tribal Native American civilizations that have like that, that was actually built into the structure of how they operated, where there would be these holidays where people would change and, you know, the chiefs or the, the police, the people who acted as the police would become clowns and, you know, just all of these like Right. switching of the roles that people had so and it was it was kind of built in that it, if somebody had a really great hunting season they would then be kind of ritualistically humiliated in front of everybody so that they were not attached to their kind of hierarchical role but right yeah i don't know it, it's just interesting like giving people an environment where they can forget their capitalist lives and dissolve into a collective seems to more and more like connect with people and I, right. I feel like is kind of an important part of the equation and part of what makes me hopeful about you know the the fact that there could be some people driven change right is, is how much there is just that that urge there but obviously you know this is something you think about and put put in the book so just curious to hear your thoughts is, is that part of the thing that makes you come away from this and still be hopeful, even though the the aims of of the protesters often get thwarted repeatedly in, in these stories? Yeah, it's part of it. I mean, what the, I guess the main thing that makes me hopeful is that I came away from this book that I did, you know, through 200, 250 interviews uh, in 12 countries. And almost everyone, even if they had been, you know, apparently defeated in the short term, had experienced some kind of a, a, a crushing defeat. Almost no one had given up on the idea of getting together with other human beings and tried to build a better world. They had, you know, thought about new strategies. They had thought about doing things differently. They had maybe had to leave their home country or gone to jail, but but they had not given up. And a lot of people have said, even if they knew, even after they knew how things ultimately turned out, even if they knew, now know that the story ended in disaster, they would say things like, "I could relive that day." every day for the rest of my life. It's the most alive that I've ever felt. Yeah. And that feeling is something that I will never stop reliving. And I think that the that feeling is related to not only what you said about this historical practice of in, of inverting hierarchies and, and sort of creating more direct links between people that you see in all kinds of any any civilization of any complexity. I think when you see these things, kind of kinds of things popping up, the medieval carnival, the, the, the case you just outlined. Of, I've read a lot of Graeber books, Graeber's books, but not that one. But I think it's also related to that other phenomenon we spoke about earlier, like the feeling right now, which I think drives the elections of people like Schwarzenegger and Trump and Bolsonaro and Millet, that we're not actually in control of what's happening. The structures that you're supposed to represent us are not actually representing us. 
there are a few moments in, in your daily life when you really feel that you're making history, that you're part of something like a zeitgeist, that you're actually working, connecting with other people and actually imposing your will in the most positive sense, like trying to reshape reality in a way that actually matters at all. And so when those feelings come around for people in this day and age, at this level of like social complexity, and in a, a world of interconnected political systems, which I think it is right to believe don't really represent us that well anymore, it feels so incredibly powerful. It feels like this is something that I've been starving for. Because the like, right now, what I'm actually doing feels like it's really changing things. Uh, and that is a feeling that I, I think that even if we didn't have to improve the global system, which I think we do, it would it's it's like there's a deep there's a deep yearning for for that uh, in humanity to connect with other people and build something, connect with other people and do something really like to make a difference. And there's not we don't feel that way very often. Often we're, you know, right. watching movies. There's like a meaningless that has like been yeah. encoded into everything that is pretty frustrating. And I think people assume might be like something that we just like take for granted as like part of day to day life. But it really when you read, hit, uh, you know, historic accounts and like interviews with people who are parts of things like this in your book. And it's really like there is something that makes you feel alive, which yeah. suggests to me maybe that's how we're supposed to feel is like alive, <laughs> but alive. during our lives, you know? Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. you don't feel a lot, you know? Yeah. You feel something when you, you know, like scroll in social media all day and like get mad at a post and then do a post and people get mad at you. You feel something. But you don't exactly <laughs> feel alive. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's not that omnipotence that like being in the streets or being the collective can kind of bring you when you're just kind of, yeah, when it's the digital response version mm -hmm. you're getting to feel something. And I'm like, I'm curious, like in that, you know, like that feeling that allows people to come together and be like, yeah, you know what, I'm, I'm also not pleased. I'm angry about this thing, you know, in your book, you know, for people who aren't fully aware, you're examining a lot of these mass movements that you know, most of the time didn't actually end up bringing about the change that the people were seeking. Right. And in fact, right. the movements get co-opted and, you know, can turn into, as you say, like almost bringing the opposite effect of what they right. wanted initially. Right. Is right. there something, do you think there is something woven in that? Like that the, like, obviously there are very politically minded activists and people who are organizing and understand like maybe mechanically what has to happen, but because so many are just sort of taken up by this larger feeling that we kind of get stuck in the loop of doing the explosive, like this is our feedback to the the leaders of the world kind of thing, and right. then forgetting what happens after that? I think that, yes, partially. I think that, so the phenomenon that I choose to build this history around is, is mass protests that get so big that they either overthrow governments or fundamentally destabilize governments. So these are movements that, at first, unexpectedly, appear to be incredibly successful. Like every so enough people came on the streets that actually the president or the dictator is like fleeing the country or is so scared and so desperate to stay in power that they want to that they'll give something up to to the people in the streets in order to stay in power. Now, what happens next ends up being the focus of my book is what I try to do is I go back and see well, what actually happened in the years that followed after a lot of the foreign uh, journalists have, have have stopped, you know, reproducing the very inspiring images on screens around the planet. What really happened? 
And to answer that question as to what actually happened, I think is related to your question, somewhat indirectly, but related, is that the way that we are living, starved of this feeling, starved of this actual connection with other, you know, we are like digitally, quote unquote, connected because we're, you know, we're, we're sending, you know, messages on screens, but we're, we're, we're living more individualized lives than I think um, most of humanity ever has. We are often responding to like posts. This, this way that we've been living for several decades shaped the type of the types of responses which were easiest to put together to real injustice. They shaped the types of things that we did first when confronted with real abuses of power. And I think that is, yes, part of the story. And a lot of a lot of the people said this at the end, like, you know, we at the end of the book, you know, after I've, I've interviewed everyone, I asked them to look back and what happened. And a lot of them said, yes, it was not only this system that we thought that it had had been oppressing us, but that shaped the way that we understood political change. It shaped the way that we could put together responses to injustice. And that ended up meaning that we couldn't get through that first apparent victory to the next step, which was actually creating something better. Right. So yeah, I do. I do think it's all related. I think that we, we, and you know, that, that that's part of the learning process, right? That's part of the what happened in the 2010s is a lot of people got much further than they expected, and then realized where the the barriers were. But I think that the fact that we have been living this way for so long is part of the reason that explains why it was the mass protest that came together very, very quickly. That was the way that that often was the the automatic response. Like why. The 2010s, the, the the dominant mode of the 2010s rather than other of these, you know, years of of, of uprising was uh, mass protest or the mass, why it was a mass protest decade, if you want to use the subtitle of my book. You know, I, I think one of the things that you end up pointing to is that a, a lot of these protests were coming at the right time, right? There, there was this energy and this desire, but they were specifically horizontally organized or organized mm-hmm. to, to resist leadership. And is that kind of the big takeaway that you just, you think that future protests, m- protest movements need to kind of t- take away from this book is that some manner of organization, some manner of like, you know, if you aren't prepared after you create the change to step in to lead somebody else is going to lead for you is that would that be kind of the big you know because that there is the example of this actually working right and the big thing there was that the leftists who created the change then involved themselves in national politics right right so right. like would you say that is the big takeaway that they just need to be ready to organize and then lead the that dynamic i think that you just outlined is goes a big goes a long way towards explaining a lot of what happened in many of the cases uh in the book there's like 10 to 13 depending on how you how you count them but that damn dynamic if you you know if the book the book is indeed uh, built around the question how is it possible that so many mass protests led to the opposite of what they asked for you've outlined i think yeah a, a, a major part of the answer which is that what happened unexpectedly is that more people came out into the streets than, than, than was planned for. Uh, they joined a very specific type of 
response to injustice, a very specific type of mass protest, which is, you know, which has various elements. Uh, it is apparently spontaneous, leaderless, digitally coordinated. Often, you know, people are finding out about this because of social media or media in general. And then horizontally structured, which means that there's not hierarchy and there's often an idea that there shouldn't be. Uh, and then these are protests in public squares or in, or in uh, public spaces. And when more people come than expect than are, than are expected, then, yeah, the government is perhaps dislodged or the government is so weakened that power is up for grabs. And often what happened and you know, this is where, you know, cases really diverge. But often what happened is whoever was already there, organized, waiting in the wings, steps in and takes power. The person that was like waiting, you know, on, on, off, off, off camera, off stage, takes over. Or, you know, sometimes that is the local national elites. They're not always on the right. Sometimes they are on the right. Or, especially in the cases of countries that are weaker than the U.S., you often had some neighbor or the U.S. itself coming in to, to, to fill that vacuum and, and crush the movement. And then when that kind of counterattack comes, just like it did in 1789 or in the revolutions, in previous eras of, of global revolution, there's usually a counterattack, a counterrevolution. That protest that hadn't planned on going to war with anybody, that had not planned on even actually overthrowing a government, is really was was really not ready for it. Was really not ready to 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 defend this project, which really concretely consisted of millions of different people with different ideas as to what it was, because they came together so quickly. And you know that part of it, I think, was, is a strength in the beginning. Is you can get so many people together very quickly because sort of everyone's invited. But right. once you get past that first moment, often there was a brief moment when there was an opportunity, and usually the people that took the opportunity were already organized, already ready, and already waiting in the wings to seize power. Where, whereas the the street movements couldn't decide if they believed in taking power or who was supposed to do it or if, what would they would do with it if they would. And while that sort of non-conversation was not happening, like the military sweeps in or a right-wing populist sweeps in or NATO bombs your country and so on. When it comes to like kind of like looking like because, um, you know, I, I'm looking at the book and, and just kind of thinking about everything, I'm always thinking of like, you know, how this like relates to the United States too, and how we've right. we dabble a lot. I mean, yeah, we've seen a lot of mass protests. I mean, like in 2020, felt like a huge moment with Black Lives Matter and people beginning to sort of be able to articulate like sort of what is wrong with our system of policing, mm -hmm. only to just get like Nancy Pelosi kneeling in a kente cloth at the Capitol, right? And then like right. we're like, what about qualified immunity? There's like a lot of things we could do, and so I look at things like you know, like United Auto Workers or organized labor right now. Right. And they've been able to wield some really inspiring, like collective power and were able mm -hmm. to extract tangible concessions. But I feel like that a lot of that is because these groups are organized around right. worker power and in a specific industry. And their tool is to withhold their labor, which then affects revenue, which then affects right. the leadership. And then that's how they bring them to the table. When you know, how do we take sort of like, you know, what's from your perspective, what are the learnings? Like, that's a very obviously potent tool that has that gets very specific. And I think that's probably the benefit of those kinds of movements is because they're all they're very focused on like some very specific things. But when we're talking about sort of like the discontent that people are experiencing in the United States based on inequality or et cetera. How do we take that going merely past the point of these sort of 
huge gestures, you know, these expressions of anger and translate that into outcomes. Because a lot of the times, like you're saying, these movements, they're not, they are horizontally organized or they get so big, like people are like at the picket for police brutality. Some guy's got a sign. He's talking about like batteries give you cancer. And you're like, well, what the fuck is what? Like, <laughs> what are we doing now? Like, so what do we do when it sort of falls outside of that realm of something as specific as like the workplace or outcomes as workers? Yeah, that's, that's a good, that's a good way to pose the question. Cause those two, those two phenomena, I think are interrelated in different and important ways. On the one hand, one of the things that people said in Egypt or Brazil or, 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 or Libya or, uh, around the world at the end of the book is. I wish we would have been more organized before the explosion came. I, I wish we would have organized when it seemed like nothing was happening. Like the lesson, the lesson off being essentially build in the off season because you don't know what's going to come. And when something, an opportunity does, does arise, you want to already have, be, you know, connected with other people that believe in the same things as you. And this is kind of the story of the UAW, right? Like in 2017, you do have people that are from the kind of, the world of progressive politics, realizing, oh, we, we could try to reform the UA, there, there's the UAW Reform Caucus. This is a process that starts in 2017 when it seems like, you know, there's no opportunities for organized labor right now. And, you know, Donald Trump's just won the presidency. What, you know, the, the, you know, it, it, but, but it, it, it ends up paying off much, much later. Mm -hmm. And it pays off because, as you say, you withdraw, you withhold your labor. And, not only do you withhold your labor, because this is a this is the really hard move that is almost impossible for the horizontally structured mass protest to pull off, is that you withhold your labor asking for a raise. You may ask for all kinds of things that you think you're not going to get. You ask for them. But you know that there is a amount of money that you can get that will lead you to go back to work. And the boss also knows that the boss believes the boss will make an offer. And then the union says, oh, yes, if we get this amount of concessions from you, we will go back to work. And that's why the boss gives it, because there's this exit ramp, right? Like everyone can, you know, even if you could, you've, even if you use the, the strike to raise consciousness about working class power in the United States, even if you make all kinds of some demands that you're not going to get this time. The only reason for the boss to give the raise is the credible promise that the labor is restored the next day. And this is something that this was the very strange, like it really confounded everyone that was living through it. Like as it was happening, the politicians and the original organizers, for example, of this unexpected mass explosion in Brazil in 2013, didn't know how to deal with this phenomenon because the president wanted to give the streets something but could not figure out what it was that would that could be given and then that the, the streets could say oh yes that that's great we'll take that for now you know and again right. in these movements you you may ask for really really radical reforms you may you know bring up um the possibility of entirely changing or getting rid of the current policing or carceral system that that's a that is a thing that can be part of this larger process but when there's no when there was no ability for the people in power to understand that they would somehow get out of this. Like, because right. they're often, like I said, they're scared. So if right. you're not willing to actually overthrow the government and form a new one, but you can scare the government 
then what you want is to use that moment where they're kind of on their back, on their heels to get something. But they're only going to get it if they think that, okay, well, then that means that I can stand again. That right. if, I, if I do give this thing, I will be demonst- it will be demonstrated that, you know, mass protest extracts uh, uh, goods from me. It will, be, it will be proven, you know, on the other side of this equation, there, there might be all this more, this radical energy that's, that's born, but at least I can hold on for now. And, and a lot of times in the 2010s, the government couldn't even figure out what to give in order to restore right. order. So then they just... They end up opted, opting for, and this depended on context, repression, just like crack, like just crack, cracking down or just waiting it out, which turns out kind of works. Mm-hmm. And, and the, the, that, 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 that dynamic that you brought up too, like, cause I, you know, in 2020, I mean, I didn't write, I, I know very little about the George Floyd uprising. I spent a lot of time learning about the rest of these in the book, but I did get like, I did watch of course. And and this was something that I started to talk about with my friends that were in, you know, involved on the streets, that if the government just kind of does nothing, the longer things go on, the more likely it is that that guy with the sign that says batteries give you cancer will get on television. Mm-hmm. Right. Even if, and again, to go back to the very beginning of our conversation, even if like that's an FBI agent, right. you know, if like it makes sense for the government to just send three people out there to do the dumbest thing that you could imagine, point a camera at them and be like, this is what you are. Is that what you are? And in the case of these horizontally structured uprisings, the uprising cannot say, no, we're not. No, it's not. Which is something that the Black Panther Party and CORE and SNCC, the civil rights groups in the 50s uh, and 60s that inspired so much of contemporary protests as we know it. So much of the 60s movements in the student new left were really inspired by the civil rights organizations in the 50s and 60s, they absolutely would have had an ability to say that guy, we don't know that guy. Right. But yeah. that, but that, that was lost in the, you know, it's a, it's a mixed bag. There's um, um, positive and negatives to the, to the dynamic, which allows people like a lot of people to come to the streets at the same time. Whereas often it took like two years to put together the mass demonstrations that were common in the 50s and 60s, because they had to like slowly, slowly one by one recruit people and vet them. Whereas now we can, everyone can show up, but then there's no one to say, yeah, really anything for right. on behalf of the streets. Right. Yeah. Like when Boogaloo boys showed up at like BLM things and they're like, wait, what? Well, hold on. Y'all they're like, yeah, 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 yeah. We, we like this too. And it's like, okay, no, this, this, this is not it. Not yeah. over here. But yeah, let's, uh, let's take a quick break. And then, yeah. uh, yeah, I want to keep talking about this. We'll be right back. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. 
Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Have you heard about the social media platform for kids? It's called Zigazoo. It's a great place where kids like me can come together to make fun videos. Zigazoo is moderated by real live people who review content before it's posted on the feed. (laughs) I especially love the dance challenges. So much fun. Oh, and there's no comments or messaging, so you don't get any of that negativity that's all over other social networks. All my friends love it. I love that it's Kids Safe COPPA certified. Uh, I don't know what that means. It means it has built-in privacy protections for your online data. Uh, that's great, but I wouldn't be doing Zigazoo if it wasn't fun. She would not be doing it if I didn't think her data was safe. Zigazoo, the world's largest social network. For kids! <laughs> Download the Zigazoo app today. And we're back. We're back. And BuzzFeed has dropped what I hope will be a tradition going forward. A tradition unlike any other. Mm-hmm. That is uh, 2023's most out-of-touch celebrity moments. And I, I had missed some of these because I don't pay that close attention to what Bryce Dallas Howard and Kim Kardashian are doing on social media. Oh, Jack, you're missing a whole world of nonsense. A whole new world. <laughs> and foolery. <laughs> was, what was Bryce Dallas? I, I remember she was getting like the Nepo baby thing. Like, yeah. I think that was that what was going it, on. Yeah, so in May, she did an Instagram post that was about the challenges of breaking into the film industry. <laughs> And your dad is Ron Howard. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) One of the most successful directors working and has like a massive production company. Right. And your first roles were, oh, let me see here, in Ron Howard films, (laughs) like How the Grinch Stole Christmas. By the way, she does have the perfect nose. I feel like the the noses of the Who's in that movie were modeled off of her. Damn, I would die to be a Who. Oh, you, you kind of have like a great Who vibe. Yeah. I would Cindy lo- Lou I Who? I think I would kill it as a Who. Which fucking murder the <laughs> <laughs> Are you like the Who that they're all like, they're like, Blair's kind of like not, a little different than us, right? <laughs> so, what's See? up, motherfuckers? <laughs> no. I got a lot of love and holiday cheer in my heart to spread around. I think I fit right in. I think they would be like, you're the Who that we never knew we missed, you know? Yeah. 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 Oh. All right. All right. Petition to have Blair transported to Whoville. There we go. Also, she was in a beautiful mind, which I didn't even realize. Oh, I need to watch that. You got to rewatch a beautiful mind to see Bryce Dallas Howard. That shit hits (laughs) different when you realize Bryce Dallas Howard's in it. (laughs) And see her out of touch celebrity moments. (laughs) That that was used as an example of 
teeth acting. Someone was like, oh, yeah, you remember Russell Crowe's teeth in A Beautiful Mind? That's oh, no. Me. No. I He's tooth acting? He's tooth acting. I didn't know. Teeth acting to act him. Yeah. <laughs> All right. We also got uh, Kim Kardashian promoting a wildly expensive, totally unnecessary, according to medical science, MRI scan for some reason. Yeah. Oh, I saw that one. Yeah. The pre-nuvo so, scan is what yeah. the fuck it was. In an August Instagram post, Kim Kardashian promoted a $2,499, so kind of a deal, a medical scan. Which, uh, sorry, did I say scam or scan? It doesn't matter. Medical, they, yeah, they're interchangeable. either way. Actually, both are correct. Which isn't covered by insurance because it's, according to medicine, completely unnecessary. It's her in a picture next to an MRI machine. I believe she is wearing figs, like the form-fitting medical scrubs. And she wow, wrote... someone knows. Wait, that's a thing? They got like, they got yeah. like uh, sexy medical scrubs? I mean, they're not like they're we're just not sexy, but they're cut. You've seen, to, it's you've not seen medical box. scrubs. They are like cut to fit box. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, exactly. Just, yeah, for Roblox leg. people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. They're like <laughs> built for Minecraft characters. And yeah, figs were just like, what if we like recognized that humans wore these? Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, yeah. But anyways, Kim said, "I recently did this at Pre Nuvo scan." And had to tell you all about this life-saving machine. It has really saved some of my friends' lives. And I just wanted to share, hashtag not an ad. That's, 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 that's a potent uh, endorsement, I guess. But like to your point, I like that the American College of Preventative Medicine and the American College of Radiology, they're both like, this is nonsense. It's not necessary. Yeah. It's not, this isn't not something you need. But hey, it saved some of her friends' lives. But it is, if you talk to doctors, like a thing, everybody's like, I think I'm going to need an MRI on this one to confirm what's going on in there. It is good, though, that they say that, though, because, like, I saw that and I, I, I mean, I'm very easily influenced. So one of my flaws, I was like, I need that. I need that. Right. My yeah. head hurts. I I have, didn't breathe that deeply for a second. <laughs> right. I need yeah. that Kim Kardashian yeah. I need that MRI. Kim Kardashian MRI. It's <laughs> <laughs> really That'll good. Save me. Bit in the uh, David Wayne movie The Ten, where these two neighbors get competitive about collecting CAT scan machines. <laughs> They're like, <laughs> try. There's like an arms race between two neighbors collecting CAT scan Stupid. machines, and I, I feel like that is. We're not far from that. Like people are going to be like, I got, I got my own damn MRI machine right. at home. And I just love the way that this country just uh, makes money off of uh, deep medical issues in humanity. Yeah, yeah, right. And neurotic people. It's soulful. Yeah, yeah I'll include. I'll throw myself. It's a, it's a soulful nation, and I'll throw myself in the neurotic yeah. group. I would love like if it was somehow a scam and it just about like it was just somehow like tracking like your brain activity to be like, okay, we've, we've downloaded another person with the pre new <gasps> It's a Thanos girl. She's working yeah. from prison. There it is. There's also a trend of rich celebrities pretending to be working class. There's a moment in the Beckham documentary where Victoria Beckham oh, claimed to come great. from a working class background. And like David Beckham was like, what? She was like, my father would bring me to school and pick me up. And David Beckham's like, in what kind of car? <laughs> like, it's not really relevant. It's not Actually, relevant. He what said, in what kind of car? In what kind of, what kind of car was it? 
a Rolls Royce. She's like, a Rolls Royce. <laughs> What's that? Wow. A Rolls Royce. Yeah. And it's like, and then he like looks at like camera. He's like, BMW or something. No, he like looks at camera. He's like, is this your queen? <laughs> a Rolls Royce. Yeah, because Beckham Ooh. definitely had a different upbringing than Victoria Beckham. But I love how he couldn't stand for the cosplay. Like he's like, ah, da, 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 da. taking. His I mean, her rolling. name was Posh Spice. Like that yeah. was her whole. You can't go yeah. back on that. It wasn't like spice. trade spice, you know, because <laughs> she's a tradie or something like that. Right. <laughs> then there were celebrities actually cosplaying as people with real jobs. Charlie D'Amelio mm-hmm. worked at a Walmart cash, worked as a Walmart cashier for, I think, like one belt's worth of food. Hell yeah. In a video to promote her new snack brand. <laughs> but she was like, just so found it so amusing to be like, yeah. and then what do you do? You do like this? Oh, okay. It? Here I am. I'm scanning the groceries. Oh my gosh. You guys must oh, love oh, your oh, jobs. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ed Sheeran worked at a Starbucks. I had missed that. But That's like going in the trenches though. We got to give him that one. I mean, I, that job, whenever I go to Starbucks, I go, these men and women are the bravest oh, people. I have ever met the things they go through, the what people tell them. I'm like, I would blow my brains out. I mean, these people yapping in their ear about fucking almond milk and shit. <laughs> yeah. Oat milk. Feel- Oat milk. Come on now. You know how we get down in L.A. Oh, you're sick. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Damn, you moved on to oat milk. You know, yeah. you watched it. You heard the oat milk. Yeah. No, you heard I heard my it. views on oat milk. I'm just dropping I'm dropping little references here and there, you know, <laughs> from the special for people to, to get get involved, get invested. Not a fan? I no, I am not. I am not a fan. Absolutely not. <laughs> Feels like it has a little more viscosity. It's a little more like I don't it's know. It's the best gum. of the fake milks, I'll say. Wow. We're doing too much. How do we even get to oats? Oats are, are oats are not milkable. We we we've gotten way too. We've strayed too far. You sound like the like uh, American dairy lobby right now. <laughs> we need to and come maybe back. What's next? They did help pay for the hour. But... <laughs> <laughs> the taste is abhorrent. We need to be honest. <laughs> I lo- I truly love milk so much. Like like I, cow's milk. Yeah, I really do. And the fact that they have lactose-free milk now is like, why are we doing anything else? I need that like, toast, bro. I need that toast. Oh, the toast fucks me up. And <laughs> we, we have a lot of non-lactose digesting individuals uh, in my household. Yeah, yeah. But that makes sense. It, it really, like, I don't, I don't notice a difference between lactose-free. Like, does anybody make the claim that they're like, no, this tastes like shit without the lactose? Actually, I've never even tried, like, like lactate. Try that- it. Yeah, I've never tried it either. Well, yeah, it used to be just a product made by Lactaid, which are are the people who make the chalky little chewables that you eat before you have lactose. And so that was kind of gross. Like that got lactose-free milk off on a bad foot. Mm -hmm. But now like all the regular milk companies now have lactose-free milk and it's... Tastes oh, exactly really? I did not yeah, know yeah, that. Yeah. See, I have learned so much in this short time together. It is crazy. <laughs> I've always seen lactate, but it sounds so pharmaceutical. It keeps yeah, exactly. far away. Right, they, right, right. It got us off to, on the wrong foot. But try try lactose-free milk if you don't fuck dare? with like almond. I will. Or, Thank you. Yeah. I love if a you, challenge. Yeah, and also if you dare. <laughs> yeah, you're fucking did, built for it. Yeah, David Letterman <laughs> made a video in which he pretended to work at a grocery store. We'll forgive him for that. 
I cannot... Prince William served veggie burgers out of a food truck and looked but wildly uncomfortable. But this was, I think, his attempt to be like, I'm the people's prince, not Harry. Look at me. (laughs) He's like, he's like using like fucking hand sanitizer every time he hands something off to a regular person. Oh my God. (laughs) Okay. What's the next one? All right. Anyways, uh, shout out to Buzzfeed because I talking a lot of shit about how bad the internet is these days. And that it is bad. Mm -hmm. Like, Everything is written by AI now, it turns out, it looks like. But BuzzFeed still doing their thing out there. Yep. Hashtag not an ad. Hashtag not an ad. Hashtag Green Nouveau scan saved my life. Hashtag (laughs) hashtag really though. Hashtag not kidding. Hashtag just kidding. Hashtag beautiful on the inside and the outside. Hashtag. um, All right. Hashtag this Christmas gift will change your life by getting you to finally shut the fuck up. Exactly. Put your ass on mute. I'm all ears, bitch. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> we like we talk about all the time on the show, like how we're like we're always just every day getting closer to like a Wally type world. Yeah, and I'm curious what you guys think of this thing. If is dystopian or useful? So there's this picture. If you could all look um, in the doc, that is not a virtual oral sex simulator. That's actually a device called a Mutalk. And if um, and you're like thinking like, what the fuck is this? A guy's wearing a VR headset with like a box strapped to his mouth. And you're like, so if it isn't a cunnilingus simulator, then what is it? Well, it's a Bluetooth device that serves as a microphone. But here's the thing. It also slightly muffles the sound of your voice. So people nearby can only kind of hear what you're talking about. Uh, Does it like suck the words out of your mouth like 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 someone speaking from beyond the veil in a horror movie? Like it sounds (laughs) like it's being spoken backwards. No, it's what I want. Okay, look, if you're really into the science of it, it's using something called the Helmholtz resonator principle. Which is just a muting of, I don't know, man. It's about oh, yeah, yeah. like taking oh, it's different. A Hemholtz. Acu- yeah, it's no a Hemholtz more. resonator. Say less, man. It's thank you. Thank Hem- you. It's a Hemholtz resonator. Exactly. Resi- it's using car mufflers and things like that. It's like I don't know. Look, I'm not a I'm not a science guy. I'm only into weird digital S and M products. That's why this yeah. thing caught my eye. But like, so it's being marketed as a device for people who are on the phone who like want to be on a wild ass conversation in public or something or at gamers. That way you don't wake your family while just getting totally pwned on Fortnite or some shit. And so I get one of these things on Donald Trump. Oh, boy. Yeah, that's going to be Uh, on. Can we (laughs) send a pack of these to uh, Congress? Maybe. Thanks, Bill Maher. Um, (laughs) But yeah, I mean, I get the need for something like this. If I guess you're allowed talker in public but it's it doesn't might it just doesn't make sense fully blair what, what are your thoughts on a device like a fucking box you that talk. you strapped your mouth i'm conflicted honestly yeah there's part of me that loves the idea but then also if i get the fantastical side of my brain it's like mm, that sounds cool the other more responsible high school principal in me says we must <laughs> Stop this now <laughs> before I'm, we are taken over. Yeah. What's next? It looks like a viewfinder. Like that one, of, you know, like it looks like a right. viewfinder that goes over your mouth. It looks like an oh. Oculus for your mouth. It, Oculus is such a sick word. <laughs> Oculus rules. Yeah, that, that they great. got they got the good name. Bad they guy got good this, name. Yeah. They should call it the talk you less. <laughs> I oh, like talk that. you less. 
Yeah. I what? Want that. Yeah, you maybe. talk fucking sucks. I was Fuck that was talk. my main note for this is yeah. that the it looks like an S and M device and it the name sucks. It sounds like a like something having to do with mucus or something. But yeah, the, the, it's like talk re- you less, Miles. Look, uh, how garage, are you not day, a billionaire? I ask myself uh, that every day because I I have so much debt that all my billions <laughs> go to the servicing my debt. I have billions in debt, Jack. So if I was, <laughs> I am under somehow I have billion dollars worth of debt. But the reviews are also decidedly meh. Like people are like, I don't know, you can use it. It kind of sounds like it's definitely muffled, but your kind of mouth has to get used to talking like in this little tiny box the whole time. Mm-hmm. But the company behind this is Japanese, which now makes a lot more sense to mm. me because since being audible in public is like peak rudeness. Like, you do not want to be out here on your phone in public. So I guess, like, if you absolutely had to, this is, like, the wave. But they also, this same company, makes this other device called the Wear Space. And it's, like, <laughs> horse blinders for a human. It looks yeah. like a, it's like a noise-canceling headset that can basically, like, envelop your entire head. Blair, I know you're laughing just by looking at this thing. I'm the well, no, I mean I gotta I gotta make a hard turn and say this actually this company seems suited for my needs because I was like, that sounds like my heaven. I am trying <laughs> to check out. Yeah. Take me blind take me to horse blind blinder me, town. Blind me, mute me, me, mute right. me, gag me. <laughs> right. Yeah. Put me yeah. in the matrix. They this, this is how they all it. looks like like you know how every year there's a new American horror story like cover like cover art that comes out right like, this all looks like that shit to me like it just oh looks, yeah. yeah between the wear space and mutalk the wear space yeah. uh from the designer says quote it's a device that allows users to wear a personalized space equipped with noise cancellation technology and a partitioning function that visually blocks portions of the space it allows no it's to- a horse blinder it's not yeah. a space a horse <laughs> you're not yeah. wearing space you're it's wearing so you, a horse blinder you stay in your lane <laughs> Yeah. Um, it also allows wearers to, quote, instantly create a psychological boundary with their surroundings and acquire a personal space while being in such open environments. <laughs> Let's fucking so go! Yeah. <laughs> Blair just did 10 burpees. I was like, oh, fuck, yeah, that's incredible, actually. That's psychological barrier! This is coming up. Give me that psychological barrier. I've been searching for that my whole life. It's like, yeah. so... This is interesting, too. It says it's equipped with a visual angle adjustment mechanism, which just sounds like some kind of like bendable thing to just maybe block off your field of vision um, yeah. operated by opening, closing the partition, a noise cancellation function and a sound filtering function that allows users to customize only those sounds they don't want to miss, such yeah. as someone calling their name or knocking yeah. on the door. <laughs> this is uh this is this does invent a new rudest thing to do when someone asks you a question. Is slide just this put on. one of those on <laughs> and then look. block yourself yeah off. and then t- look at them again and then put the mute talk over your mouth <laughs> uh, i need one of those i need one of those i will spend all my money on that what would you how would you use this horse blinder for humans like what context are you thinking okay this is this has blair's hockey written over i'm thinking 23 hours a day i come out for one hour. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I, you know i've always looked at turtles 
I've been so extremely jealous of turtles. I say yes. they can just oh. they can just retract inside their home built in. It's incredible. I say no, thank you. Going back right. inside now. Right. Someone's mid conversation. The turtle just goes back. Bye bye. Yeah. Child. And this oh. would be like that for me. <laughs> yeah, like a like a like a like a online dating app date isn't going well. And you're like, actually, just one second while you're talking about crypto. Hold on, let me get this one. <laughs> Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> Goodbye. <Yeah. laughs> Blair, Blair is no longer Blair? in this conversation right now. Yeah. <laughs> I do like that it has like ego adjustments. So it's like, I mean, the one thing you do want to cut through is someone saying your name. Yeah. So, you know, that that will wake you out of your digital coma. How does it, does it learn your name? Or I have a just feeling... Like, it, they, I don't know. You can just open it up a little bit more. Yeah. It's probably like any noise canceling stuff that can kind of give you brief like fil sound filtering. But yeah, again, this thing is all it's all very futuristic. I don't know what it's saying about us. Talk about mother's headed. little helper. Just <laughs> tune those kids out, baby. <laughs> talk shit about them to your friends and into the mu talk. Right. <laughs> They're like. I can't believe him. He's so fucking embarrassing, my kid. So oh, fucking God. selfish. <laughs> Anyways. Uh, true nightmare that we're living yeah. in. But also... I mean, for some, a fantasy. As, we, as we've learned, Blair, this, this thing might be purpose-built for you. Oh, no. I mean, this was this person we've never met, but they're my greatest lover of all time. They're in <laughs> my soul. They're in my spirit. They're in my mind, body, spirit, soul. You just see a couple both wearing wear spaces with mutox, like just like <laughs> holding, holding hands. hands. <laughs> That's my dream. That's my literal dream. Yeah. Wow. Like I just like to feel that someone's there. I don't want to acknowledge them really beyond that. That is beyond pure that. romance in my heart. Oh, fuck. Amazing. All right, that's going to do it for this week's weekly Zeitgeist. Please like and review the show if you like the show. Uh, means the world to Miles. He, he needs your validation, folks. Uh, I hope you're having a great weekend, and I will talk to you Monday. Bye. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Zigazoo has made me zigzag. What I mean by that is I swore I would never let my kids on social media. But now I'm setting them loose on Zigazoo. 
Zigazoo is a space for kids to post videos they've created and to share them with other kids just like them. Videos that are moderated by actual people. And since there are no comments or messaging, you don't have to worry about social trolling. Zigazoo, the world's largest social network for kids. Download the Zigazoo app today. Guys, customer service is essential to your business success. And for faster, smarter customer experience, you can turbocharge your CX results with CX1, the world's most complete customer experience platform from NICE. It's never been easier for organizations of all sizes around the globe to create extraordinary customer experiences. With the scalability and flexibility of the cloud, you can power up your business goals like never before. So don't get left behind. Find out more today at nice.com. That's nice.com.